Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. I'm your host, Aram Layton, and I hope you enjoyed the previous episode with Marlins radio voice, Glenn Geffner. This episode is going to be a little bit more focused on what the Marlins have been doing, and then the second half will be a little preview, the beginning of my preview series for the Marlins Top 20 Prospects. Uh, The list is posted on Twitter, 1 through 20 of my rankings, so number 20 is where I will start with Naz Nunez. That'll be in the second half. But for the first half, I want to talk about some of the moves that the Marlins have made, specifically the two moves that they made to create room for the signings of Matt Joyce and Brandon Kinsler. Those two moves we were waiting on for a little bit. It seemed like the Marlins waited till the 11th hour. I think it was a tough decision for them to ultimately decide who they wanted to remove from the 40-man roster. And when the decision was made, I think it came as a surprise to many, myself included. The Marlins ultimately decided to designate Harlan Garcia and Jose Quijada a pair of southpaws in the bullpen. And the Marlins really only have one other southpaw, and that's Stephen Tarpley, actually two, make that Adam Conley, who has almost become an afterthought at this point, and hopefully that is a sign of confidence in Conley. But when you look into it a little bit deeper, it starts to make a little bit of sense as to why the Marlins would get rid of both southpaws. I think on the surface, people were like, why get rid of one of your only effective, if not your only effective, lefty out of the bullpen? But when you look into the numbers a little bit more, Garcia did not do great against left-handed batters this past year. In fact, lefties hit better against him than right-handed batters did. And if that's your guy that you want to go to to get left-handed batters out, statistically speaking, it doesn't really make sense. Lefties hit 247 against him, while righties hit just 194. And if you wanted Harlan Garcia in your bullpen just because he's been effective, I can understand that argument. I mean, he had just a 3 ERA last year, but the strikeout number's a little suspect, only 39 and 50 and two-thirds innings. And the previous two seasons before this one, Garcia was roughed up an ERA over five in both those seasons. So I think the Marlins thought that this was a bit of a flash in the pan in terms of Garcia's performance last year. Uh, Pair that with the fact that he didn't get left-handers out very well last year. There's no reason to just have a southpaw because you think you should have a southpaw. You want to have a lefty because they get left-handed batters out. And then you pair that with the fact that Brandon Kinsler was fantastic last year against left-handed batters and had nice reverse splits. Lefties hit only 163 against him and slugged just 275. I think that made Quijada and Garcia even more expendable. You'd like to think that the Marlins may have a trade in place for Garcia. Uh, Remains to be seen. I'm not sure where the deadline is on that or if he just becomes available. Uh, No one has put a claim in on him yet, so we'll see how that goes. But for the Marlins, to a degree it makes sense. Maybe you could make a case that there's a few other guys on the 40-man that the Marlins maybe should have parted with. But ultimately, I don't think the bullpen will really be reeling from the loss of Harlan Garcia, especially given the fact that they will probably be more effective now in getting left-handers out with the addition of Stephen Tarpley, hopefully a little bit of a rebound from Adam Conley, who cannot be any worse than he was last year, and then Brandon Kinsler, who will probably be the go-to guy to get left-handed hitters out in high-leverage situations. So the Marlins then make another move right after that, and they go and add... 
Sean Rodriguez, a journeyman who is a super utility guy, can play all over. I believe he played every single position for the Phillies last year, except for catcher, even through an inning in third. So he will have a shot to just make the team, I think, add some infield depth, which is important because we know how stacked the outfield is at this point. But he'll have an opportunity to make the team whether it's as an infielder or an outfielder, I think the Marlins are going to have a lot of competition come this spring, which is something that has not been the case in the past and is a little bit more refreshing. And you'll have a combination now of the young guys competing, you know, Monty Harrison, Lewis Brinson, some of those, or Magnaris Sierra even, who maybe didn't have as much pressure to make the team. Sierra did last year, but Brinson did not have that pressure last year, and he seemed to be very comfortable in spring training. Then when the regular season came around, he was not comfortable and was pressing a lot more. So we'll see how that helps Lewis Brinson and what seems to be his last chance to try and make the squad. And then Monte Harrison. Harrison has been told he has a chance to make the big league roster, to make the opening day roster. So Harrison will now be competing with some older guys like Matt Kemp and Matt Joyce and Harold Ramirez, and who is on the younger side. But it's crazy to see this combination of older guys like Matt Kemp trying to make the team and try and make an MLB team in the twilight of their career paired with youngins like Monte Harrison, who are trying to start their career and make their claim in the big leagues. So this is going to be a cool combination. And I think regardless of whether Matt Kemp makes the team, whether he accepts an assignment to AAA, if he doesn't make the team, I think he should have a good effect in spring on some of these young outfielders for the Marlins, especially when you look at Monte Harrison, who resembles Matt Kemp a little bit to a degree, obviously a lot more physical of a body. But when Matt Kemp first came up, he was a 30-30 guy for the Dodgers. And that's the type of player that the Marlins are hoping Monte Harrison can be. So that will be interesting. And this should be one of the most exciting spring trainings we've seen in a while. It's pretty wild to think that Harold Ramirez, who for a while during last season was probably the Marlins' most effective bat, especially when Garrett Cooper was on the shelf and Brian Anderson got off to a little bit of a slow start, that Harold Ramirez is going to have to fight for playing time and fight for ABs. So this is going to be fun to watch. Monitor closely. We will be talking about spring training, pitchers and catchers report in less than a week. So that's something that is really exciting right around the corner. I think the outfield leaves a lot of questions to be answered. The bullpen will leave a lot of questions to be answered. Who's going to close games? Will it be Steckenrider? Will it be Kinsler? They've said Urania won't be the closer. So we'll see. Can Conley bounce back? Where will Sterling Sharp fit in? There's a lot of questions to answer in that bullpen. As for the pitching rotation and the infield, less questions there. I think that will remain pretty solid. And those questions will probably be raised as the season goes on with, you know, how is Eisen Diaz performing? If he's not looking good or looking major league ready, does that mean that Jonathan VR slides over to second? Is Aguilar going to bounce back this year? If not, does that mean Cooper slides to the infield and an outfield spot opens up? Or do you call up Lewin Diaz? There's a lot of options for the Marlins this year when you consider the veterans that they've added paired with the young prospects that are inching closer to being major league ready. And with those prospects, 
that I'm going to preview throughout the next three weeks. I'm going to start with number 20 on the other side of this break. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Marlins is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Marlins fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Miami Marlins fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On Marlins podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com backslash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com backslash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. So the first player I'll talk about as part of this top 20 prospect preview is number 20 on my list of Marlins prospects, Nassim Nunez. Nunez we haven't seen a lot of. He was just drafted last year in the second round by the Marlins out of high school. And Nunez is a really toolsy guy, a uh, big overslot. Marlins paid him over $2 million in the signing bonus. And I think he was drafted, I want to say, 46th overall. A kid who can just flat out fly. I believe Perfect Game had him at a 6.28 60-yard dash, which is just unbelievably fast. He's only 19 years old. Undersized, I think that's a little bit of a concern. Only 5'9", 160 pounds. But a switch hitter that has a good swing from both sides. Looking at his swing from the video that I've seen and reading some scouting reports, it seems like his right-handed swing is a little bit more natural than his left-handed swing which as a switch hitter you know you'd probably prefer that his left-handed swing is a little bit more natural he's going to face more right-handed pitchers but that being said he's got plenty of time to even things out in terms of what kind of things he showed us last year it was a small sample size he played in the gulf coast league just playing 48 games he struggled at the plate and you know you don't want to put too much stock into a 19 or at the time 18 year old's first little stint in professional baseball. He hit just 211, was still getting on base at his solid rate at 340. But a little bit of the, a little bit of that, excuse me, is probably due to the fact that a lot of the pitchers down there can't throw strikes. But he did walk 43 times in just 214 plate appearances, which is encouraging nonetheless. And Stole 28 bags, which is something that you hope he can continue to do as he gets to the higher levels and catchers have better pop times and are better behind the dish. But that's one of his calling cards is his speed. But I think one of the main calling cards for him is the defense. He is really good up the middle at shortstop. I don't think him staying at shortstop is much of a question at all. And if you look up some video of his defense up the middle. He is phenomenal, can range all over. He was clocked at 100 miles per hour, throwing it across the diamond. So a rocket for an arm for a little guy. And crazy range, makes all the crazy plays. Really exciting in terms of his defense. And I think that's what really carried him in terms of his prospect value when going into the draft. 
So that's what's going to carry him through the minor leagues as well. You look at Jose Devers. He was an undersized guy who was largely carried by his glove. And now he's starting to hit the ball. He just broke through this past season. He ended up having the season cut short due to the fact that he was banged up, but was hitting over 300, I think well over 300, and about 325 uh, by the time he was hurt for the rest of the season. So if Nunez can kind of follow that profile with a little bit more speed than Devers and I think a little bit better of a defensive prowess, he could end up following in his footsteps. My only question with a guy like Nassim Nunez is shortstops in today's game don't really profile like him. You look across the league, Jazz Chisholm, for example, in the Marlins system is more representative of the shortstops you see today. The Carlos Correa's, the Francisco Lindor's, those type, the Corey Seager, Trevor Story, all of those types of shortstops that hit for power and have a little bit better of a hit tool than Nassim Nunez shows right now. But I've seen comparisons to Xavier Edwards, who has definitely a better hit tool than Nunez from what we've seen. Edwards doesn't have any questions as to whether he's going to be a major league shortstop. So, of course, there's shortstops that don't fit the typical middle of the infield mold. But I think in today's game, especially with the power surge, a lot more home runs in today's game, shortstop has become, see, kind of quietly, a power position. And Nunez obviously is never going to hit for power no matter how much he fills out in that 5'9", 160-pound frame. But ultimately, if his glove is, is good up the middle and he hits for average and shows that speed, he could be a major league shortstop. I just don't know how much he can excite me in terms of his ability to be a franchise cornerstone down the road, and I don't think the Marlins expect that. But the reason why he's still kind of low on my top prospect list at 20 is because there's several other shortstops I think that the Marlins are more excited about right now as I mentioned Devers I mentioned Jazz Chisholm I even think Jose Salas is a guy that we haven't seen pretty much anything of however the tools for Salas from what I've read and from what scouts have said from what they've seen in his time in Venezuela but for Nunez We'll find out a lot this coming season in terms of will he be able to hit for a little bit of power, at least extra base hits, gap-to-gap power. How good will the defense be? Because he did struggle a little bit making the routine plays in the GCL this past year, making 16 errors in only 47 starts. So that's another thing, too. You know the defense is ultimately going to be really good, but... uh, Will he be able to make those routine plays and become an elite shortstop? That will be an answer that we'll probably start to find out sooner rather than later too. So keep an eye on Nunez. I know a lot of people within the Marlins organization are very excited about him. However, I don't know if there is as much of a reason to believe that he could be the shortstop of the future or if he could turn into this staple in the top of the Marlins order in the next five years. But the thing is, is this Marlins farm system that for so long didn't have a solid shortstop prospect has several now. So there's not as much pressure on Nunez figuring it out and Nunez hitting per se. However, the Marlins, of course, would really like to have a depth of shortstop prospects. So Nunez, ultimately, a lot of questions will be answered. I think he starts the year in Batavia 
and will probably spend the entire season down there. There's no reason to rush him and let him get his feet wet down there in Batavia where the pitching's not too tough, get his first full pro season under his belt, and go from there. But I think the big test, if he does hit well in Batavia, will ultimately be when he makes the call or gets the call up to high A ball, and that seems to be the test in the Florida State League for everybody, and that's where the players are truly, uh, we find out what they're made of, and that's where we'll find out a lot about several of the Marlins prospects that are higher up this year in the Florida State League. J.J. Bleday, of course, I'm most excited for. So that's it on Naz Nunez. Most of the prospect analysis will be a little bit more in-depth, but in terms of Nunez, we don't have much at this point. He comes in at number 20 for me for those reasons. I have those doubts, but he could easily slide up as we get into this upcoming season. So that's Nunez who comes in at number 20. Next episode, I will feature number 19. If you want to get a little cheat sheet and see 1 through 20, it's on our Twitter at LockedOnMarlins. Feel free to tweet any questions about prospects that will be talked about in the episodes ahead. And I'm excited to continue this prospect series with you. And tune in for number 19 through 1 coming up in the next couple weeks.